0: afternoon everyone it's nice to be with you 24 hours into the retreat I hope uh, I always like to use the word fruitful when talking about a retreat if someone's going on a retreat I hope your day has been fruitful Um, I hope you uh, were able to settle in the um, gardeners here showed up uh, about a half hour ago, but I think they finally—I think they're done. So that's the good news. Yeah, it's it's lovely to be with you in this in this space, even though we're not together. I feel connected and um, so appreciative of your practice and as you're moving through this. I'm gonna offer a a talk this evening or this afternoon and as I mentioned last night when I heard Tanisara talk about reclaiming the heart and reclaiming the sacred I felt I felt it viscerally and it it really touched a chord with me and it's like another way of viewing what we're doing when we come to the cushion or when we sit a retreat, it's another way of, of looking at our practice. And I think for me, it's a concept that it wouldn't even occurred to me years ago. It was unfathomable or even, um, uninteresting, uh, and the idea of reclaiming the heart, reclaiming the sacred, it, I, I tend to be the dismissive type. So it would have been, yeah, whatever. So as I really experienced that um, connection with it. And so I wanted to uh, reflect on it, what it means today, and some of my thoughts about reclaiming the sacred and the heart. And um, Tanisara, I think I said it last night, Tanisara said that religions have taken the idea of the sacred and the transcendent and moved it out there somewhere else and the religious folk, the the priests, whoever, are the points of connection and we have to move through the pathways that they've created to connect with the sacred, to connect with the transcendent. And if you look at in, in many cultures, ancient cultures, modern cultures, indigenous cultures, they there's a numinous quality to the environment and mystery and connection and transcendent is present in everyday life and our ancestors were very in touch with the sacred um and it's Through, If you follow the history of the dominant culture, they're the ones that have taken over and you can see how the sacred has been moved to a more formal place and at times we've been told we're maybe not quite good enough or that we don't rate or we're unclean and we can't be in the same room. Um, And we didn't need an intermediary or we're unfit or any of those things. It's, um, you know, the deep essence is out there um, and not accessible to us. And it's um, and oftentimes the colonizers would do everything they could to destroy the sacred connections and further separate people from their heritage and their sense of the sacred. The thing is though, that the sacred never went away. It never went away. Just because people said it was, didn't mean it was. And part of our practice is finding a way back to that. So the separation, the separation from the sacred is just part of the way that we've been conditioned and how our views have been shaped both about ourselves and about the world. I know you've you've all experienced practitioners, you've all heard talks, and I'm sure have come face to face with your own conditioning, ways in which you see the world that are directly a result of how you were brought up or or things you've heard or learned. Um, There's the familial conditioning we all experience when we see the norms of the family. Anger is not okay. Anger is the way things get done. Grief is not okay, or there's only a certain number of prescribed ways that you can express grief. The same is true for other emotions or feelings. Um, you can't, don't be too exuberant, don't express too much, you know, be ladylike or whatever kind of messages we got. Um, so we learn which behaviors are okay and which end up not so okay, and so we learn what to do what not to do. And even as little ones, we begin to develop habits and ways of reacting and responding to the world that are meant to keep us safe and not hurt or punished or or have any kind of um, pain um, associated with our behavior. Um, Neuroscientists talk about implicit memories and explicit memories and those implicit memories are the ones that are buried deep inside that we may not even be aware of however we respond from them they're there whether we know it or not you know they color the world we live in they color how we see and how we move through the world um create the atmosphere for our lives you know and i've told the story many times about um when i was growing up it wasn't safe to give wrong answers in my home i had to always be right so i grew up keeping my mouth shut or doing my best to figure out what you wanted and then offering that or being who you wanted me to be it wasn't safe so even if i thought i knew the answer i would not i'd keep my mouth shut because the off chance i was wrong i didn't want to take that chance and so what that does this conditioning that we all have this is my particular um, experience it creates a sense of separation if i can't be true if we can't be true to who we are there's this this separation from what's actually present for us what's real for us and in fact i in my case i had no clue because what i it could be too dangerous so it's like what do you want me to be what's your favorite color that's my favorite color and so it's it's this separation that causes so much pain it's so um it's so painful and some of our experiences were really horrific there's a a lot of abuse and you know and we don't want to feel stuff and so we push it down and pave over and that pavement that 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 armoring continues the separation It's how we armor our hearts so we prevent or do our best to prevent that hurt from happening again. The problem is that it's impossible to prevent that. There's no way, unfortunately, to become a robot. Um, So there's that familial conditioning. Then there's the societal conditioning. There's the pervasive racism and misogyny and homophobia and xenophobia and patriarchy and religious intolerance and invisibility of disability and um, you know, the ongoing oppression and intolerance of what other is, whatever is deemed the other. We get these messages from a young age. And for some violence has gone on for centuries, especially with black bodies and indigenous bodies in this country and this racialized trauma is carried and has a deep impact on how people move through the world. In other words, none of us get away with some kind of conditioning, some much more egregious than others, um, but we all have it and we all have this bias and we all have this reactivity and we carry it with us. Um, it can be large and painful or it can be small and insignificant but it's there um it's there you know and what's important is the acknowledgement that we swim in this sea that these implicit biases as i said color how we see the world and how we show up in it and there's a book called deep diversity and there's a quote and he says emotions exist at a covert and an overt level which is like see when we see it's hidden and not hidden, and when we get angry happy sad etc the emotion has to break our personal threshold before we become aware of exper- of experiencing it they these emotions are unconscious before the threshold is reached without full awareness emotions influence our behavior thought and choices you know and and oftentimes our thresholds are like this you know you are not getting over this 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 doorway I have built and nothing's getting in and nothing's getting out and um, and it impacts us like it he says it influences our responses to the world you know as I mentioned I didn't know how I kept my mouth shut I didn't know how to tell you what was really going on because it was too scary <sighs> So it's there and it influences our behavior. this deep conditioning. And even as we move through this weekend, you may notice um, any conditioning that's present, any, any, um, uh idea of how an online retreat is different from an in-person retreat and maybe the judging mind has moved in and it's with this little narrative of this is better or that's better or this is worse or that's right or this is wrong or blah 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 you know how the mind can get just caught up in that thinking and so you know this conditioning is present and all the time whether we notice it or not, and it's what separates ourselves from others. From, it separates us from ourselves and separates us from others. It impacts each of us differently, but we all experience it. And when it's left unchecked, this separateness and othering allows for the dehumanizing of those we don't like. This dehumanizing allows for all kinds of harm. From small annoyances to atrocities. And I know pretty much all the harm I have caused. And I was really thinking about this, saying, have I caused any harm that wasn't driven by this fearfulness or reactivity and trying to take care of myself? And I can't think of any. I really can't think of any. I mean, intentional, not, um, you know, accidentally doing some harm, but any harm that I, I came from and caused another person was oftentimes because I was, I was running on fear and what if, and taking care of me and I don't want to be hurt. I can't bear to feel whatever it might feel like. So I'm going to do whatever I have to do not to feel that because you have now become other and perhaps dangerous so seeing that that even in my own life that you know not that I've gone out causing great harm but I think we've all caused harm in our life and to be willing to look at that and maybe see what was driving that what was underneath that the Buddha um, used the word tangled a lot and I really like that word he that we're tangled up entangled we should get disentangled but we're tangled up in these waves of seeing the world that just aren't right you know our perception is off and uh it's based on the stories that we've created and told ourselves about these different kinds of things and these this conditioning gets solidified it's the way things are we get these fixed ideas we should accomplish certain things you should behave a certain way they should behave. It should. There's a lot of should, 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 shoulds, and this, this, this conditioning. And you know, we have this self you. I should look a certain way. This sakayaditi, me, you, whatever. And they get rigid, and we get trapped and caught. Tra- um, I think it's Tara Brach who says we're entranced. There's this trance that we're trapped in, and it's supposed to be this way. The problem is, it's um, it's rarely that way. And it causes so much suffering, so much pain, so much hurt. And it's our job to begin to move away from that. And, uh, Sonia Renee Taylor, uh, wrote a wonderful book. I highly recommend, and I will, we'll create a, a resource link so that any of these books and things that we've mentioned you don't have to write it down or try and remember it we'll put it there so you can remember or so you can look it up but sonya renee taylor wrote a book called the body is not an apology which really exemplifies this idea of conditioning and the should and the story and what it's supposed to be and she talks about body conditioning and how we're stuck on what we're told is normal being different in a world that tells us there is a normal is painful. We suffer internally from others who demean us. We suffer internally and from others who demean us, she says. There is body diversity in size, in race, in sexual orientation, in gender, in physical ability, and mental health. There is no normal default that is better than another. But as you well know, The perfect or default has been taught to us practically from the womb. Anything that is not default is debased or shamed. Anything that does not fall into this default category of the way it's supposed to be is not well received, it's shamed, or we shame ourselves i can so identify with this so identify this you know and the idea of default or normal runs through so much of our world and so much of how we see the world i mean we're we're inundated all the time um larry ward who's a a great dharma teacher um, says that none of us are gonna define what default is or what normal is because it's the colonizers who have that privilege and they are male-centered and white-bodied and wealthy among other things. And I am none of those. So I don't get, the default is told to me, is told to us. So that's another category of conditioning, this societal conditioning that causes so much harm and so much pain. So we have this conditioning and. Even if we buy into that, of getting there, like I said last night, there is no there there. We're never gonna arrive, because we'll get there, but then it'll change. There's always one more thing. You know, the Buddha said, all things are conditioned and all conditioned things are impermanent. And when we get attached to things that are impermanent, we're going to suffer. We're going to be disappointed because it's going to shift. It's going to change. We've all gotten something we wanted. Every single one of us has gotten something we wanted at some point in our lives, somewhere, but I didn't live happily ever after. I've gotten a number of things I wanted and you know life moves on it shifts it changes. it goes away i stick it in a corner it gets dusty i forgot i ever had it i forgot it was going to bring me great joy and and fix everything and it never does so watching how we get you know um, we cling to these ideas too that we believe so wholeheartedly so much pain so much delusion get caught up in so many so many ways even little ways Little ways. We take birth. We see something. What is it? I think Joseph Goldstein talked about catalog um, craving. I don't know if that's the term he used, but you didn't know you needed something until you saw a catalog. You didn't know you needed something until you you went online. I think a lot of people did that during the pandemic, did a lot of shopping, left a lot of full shopping carts out there. You know, I need that. I need that. Didn't know you needed it until you saw It, it create, you take birth as this person who needs something. The craving is born. And if you're not paying attention, it can be painful. It can be painful. Or not pushing away things you don't want. That also, no, it can't be this way. I can't, I can't, I can't have this. This better not happen or I'm screwed. We get caught up in those grandiose ideas. And so the question then become, becomes, what do we do? How do we work with this you know we are not responsible for our conditioning it's not our fault but we have to address it because it does cause so much pain you know the good news is that we're all in this room together we're all sharing this mosaic and although we're from so many backgrounds with so many different experiences we're all you know we all said i'm going to take a couple of days this weekend and i'm going to and i'm going to Come into this place and I'm willing to disentangle. I'm willing to see what's going on. But even if we're ready, it's not necessarily easy. You know, and we talked about this also a bit yesterday, that when we finally come to the cushion and sit, we're willing to calm the mind. It's not always a garden of delight. You know, I tell folks who have done um, intro to meditation, I ask them what they're coming for and they go, I want to bliss out. I'm like, I got bad news for you. You know, you might have a moment of bliss, but um, there's going to be some rough waters until you get there. You know, it can be messy. You know, even if the habits that we are carrying with us, even if these stories, even if this conditioning is painful, it's what we know and it's so hard to give up what we know because who will we be without them what will we be if we start chipping away at this idea of who we are the the stories that we've created about ourselves which if you really investigate change depending on the memories that we have i if you if you if you keep journals and if you have journals from years ago um you know i can swear something happened and then i go back and look it up and i'm like mm, Maybe it was different from the way I remember it, but they are solid and we act from them, even though they're just fantasy. So it's really interesting. So who are we going to be if we give up those those habits, those those thoughts, those ideas? You know, when we have spent so many years protecting and armoring ourselves against some very painful emotions and, and memories. How do we move forward and begin to reclaim the sacred and reclaim our heart? So million-dollar answer mindfulness is a doorway into this new world or into this world of um, letting go it's slowing down it's relaxing and it's softening it's almost like taking a breath I heard I heard a, a, a meditation a while ago and it was like breathe in and then when you breathe out, just drop into the body. I mean, you can do it right now and have that visceral experience of stopping and just dropping into right here, right now. Oh, so we slow down, relax. <clears throat> Another translation of sati, which is often, which is generally translated as mindfulness, is being with. We are asked in this practice to be with our feelings, to be with our emotions, our sensations, and some of them for perhaps the first time. And it can be so very scary. And in fact, I think sometimes our fear of feeling the thing, of feeling the emotion is worse than the actual experience. It always seems to be different. It may not be pleasant, but it's never what I thought it was gonna be. And sometimes where we when we see we've been unskillful, when we see we've caused harm or we see how some of our habits are really uh, not nice at all. um, We've caused harm and we have to look at the shadow side of our um, of our lives and and our habits and how we show up in the world, you know. I can, I'm not a, an angry person. I, that's not my go-to, so I don't, I don't carry that a lot, although it does, it does show up, it does hang out, but I'm much um, more um, into uh, just cutting people down with my tongue, not so much anymore, but thankfully, because of moving through this practice, but seeing how I caused so much harm, made people cry. It's like, whoa, really? But, you know, because it was, it was just protection, protection, protection. And so having to, being willing to see that shadow side of ourselves, ugh, it's never fun, but it's how we've moved through the world and we acknowledge it and we hold it with tenderness. Don't berate ourselves. We are accountable for our actions. But we hold this pain, we hold this tenderness with tenderness, and we see what was driving it, this deep conditioning, this deep fear, whatever it was, and go, Of course. Why wouldn't I you know, lash out or fight back or hide? Really open open to ourselves. You know, those as I said, those feelings of fear arise. Fear is what has kept us tied to the condition. Those fixed ideas will keep us from hurting. It'll keep us from being a human being. But nothing can keep us from being a human being. Nothing can keep us from our humanity. You know, when we, we suffer when we avoid what's true, what's painful. But in, what, what we have to do is turn towards. We turn towards the loss, the sadness, the grief. We hold the joy and the happiness as well. You know, we make space for whatever's here. Sometimes we put off the joy, saying, How can I be happy when there's so much suffering? We have to be with what is. If there's joy present, experience the joy. Let go of the aversion to it and be with it. Don't judge. Don't criticize. Acknowledge, you know, what's happening, but say, Right now it's like this. This is what's happening. How can I be with it? You know, because if we get into um arguing with our experience we're getting into a fist fight with reality as i love i love that idea that we're fighting reality and you know what reality always wins doesn't matter and so this invitation is to take off the boxing gloves and put them down and learn to be vulnerable learn to open to what is that relaxing of the body that relaxing of the mind that breathing, you know, when we're, we're conditioned and constricted, we're tight. And this is the invitation to open. And the vulnerability, I just, I heard a podcast by Brene Brown. She has, I've been listening to a lot of, she did, started a podcast, I think at the beginning of the pandemic. And, and most of the episodes I've listened to have been quite good. And she talks to a lot of excellent people, has great interviews, but she had a, a, <clears throat> a definition of vulnerability that I really liked. She said, it's to be uncomfortable. To be vulnerable is to be uncomfortable. And this practice asks us to be uncomfortable. And as Joanna said, not have all the answers. We don't have all the answers. How can anyone have all the answers? And all the answers are just made up anyway. We just make them up. You know all those plans for tomorrow they're an illusion I mean yeah we have to make plans for this retreat we decided on a date we made a flyer we sent out emails you all registered you made the time we showed up blah 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 but you know sometimes we make plans and something else happens how do you hold that let go of the idea that this is written in stone and it must be you know we're just making it up it's all an illusion we don't have the future i mean we sat together at joshua tree last year at this retreat and we said see you next year and then and then 2020 i mean nobody had that on their card i don't think you know it's never a short bet so let go of the must let go of the normal you know or what it should look like let it wear the world is a loose garment i love that idea instead of it being a tight constricted suit just let it flow just let it flow and become uncomfortable with uncertainty that impermanence and that uncertainty you know and with the shifting sands that we all have the eight worldly winds the play the pleasure the pain the gain the loss the the fame the ill repute the praise and the blame it's going to happen no matter what we do it's just going to happen and we let go of the shoulds you know and we come into closer connection with what is what is right here Joanna again mentioned it last night that question the curiosity what is this what is this Pema Chodron says that these feelings we've become so accomplished to avoid at avoiding can soften and transform us The practice is to train into not automatically fleeing from the uncomfortable when it arises, but with time we can embrace it. So don't flee, but embrace, turn towards again, it's that softening. This is what's here. This is what's here. We don't have to get rid of fear. We don't have to get rid of anger or grief or joy or any of the other emotions, the jealousy. We don't have to get rid of it, but we can be with it. We return. We remember. We see it clearly for what it is. We cultivate that wisdom. And when we see it for what it is, it doesn't take over. We're not subsumed by it or overcome by it. Again, another that those podcasts of Brene Brown, I heard Dolly Parton say she she has a temper and she goes, but I don't lose my temper, I use my temper. So she has agency over it. When we're not paying attention, these emotions have agency over us. They rule the reactions that we have. And when we begin to bring mindfulness, we go, oh, here comes that anger. I've carried a lot of anger over the last few years. It kind of hangs out in my chest. And it's just okay. Hello, I and I can still move through the world with this anger, but not being driven by it, not suffering from it. It's not painful. It can be a time. I'm, I'm not enlightened by any any uh, stretch of the imagination, but there's a way to hold it that's much more wise and skillful. So this this. Um, this return, this this shedding of our um, conditioning, this shedding of uh, these encumbrances that we have, these things that are weighing us down, the baggage, is not always an easy journey. We, you know, we touched on that, and and if you've you've all had some practice, so you all know it can be challenging. A few weeks ago. Around the solstice, I was looking up, you know, the ideas of the dark and the light because I really like the dark time of the year, and the darkness. And um, I was looking at the 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 idea of uh, the dark night of the soul, which is a, a writing um, by Saint John of the Cross. He wrote about this back in the 16th century. He was a Catholic monk, monastic, and It sounds like sometimes that's what we're going through when we're on the cushion and it's described as a journey involving periods of profound spiritual suffering and desolation, which then leads to the soul's mystical union with God or purification. It's a path of purification, this journey we go on. And that's what um, there's a, there's a something called the visuddhimagga which is a, 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 a treatise on an, a real synthesis of the early Buddhist teachings that was written in the fifth century that kind of um, puts it all together and it's called the path of Purification. That's what we do in this practice. We're willing to sit in the fire. we're willing to say, there's no place to run. There's no, there's no need to go any further. We can arrive. We can be here. We have arrived. I heard it was Tanisha in, in the talk she was talk, giving that I heard that I listened to and she talked about Ajahn Chah, the Thai forest uh, monk who always just seemed to be arriving. He, he, he was present fully present Where he was because there there was no being dragged in this direction or that direction and so when we are willing to let go and sit in the fire we give ourselves a chance to arrive right here what's right here and it feels like this this arrival is this this um this struggle this path but When we do burn off those things that are not skillful, that cause so much suffering, you know, we release the aversion and we release the craving. Then we can learn to be, there's the clarity. We begin to see clearly, we burn the the dust in our eyes and we see clearly that the sacred is right here, that we can connect with our wisdom and our heart right here, it's not somewhere else. And the, and the joy of, of these teachings for me is that when I shed this old skin, um, I think somebody was talking about, I think Joanna was talking about it at the, um, the beginning of the year and doing intentions, this, the, the snake who sheds its skin as we do this and as we follow this path. There is, it's not that we're just like, okay, you're on your own. There's these teachings like the eightfold path for me has been this place to land this way to live in harmony with the world, this path of integrity that allows me to say, Oh, in each moment I show up like this, you know, the precepts are taken from the eightfold path and wise action, live in integrity. We live in a way that doesn't cause harm. And so that's, that's how we begin to move into a new way of being in the world. We can let go but we're not just drifting in space. We have this journey to get to the other side, this path of purification, and we land in this new way of of seeing and being. And so we have this clarity, we have this mindfulness, but also along with this incredibly important is the compassion and kindness and softening of the heart. That's how we come into the reclamation of the heart as well, because we see With mindfulness, we see clearly what's happening and where we're stuck. And then we tend to this pain, we tend to this suffering with compassion, with tenderness. And that wonderful metta sutta tells us that we cherish all living beings omitting none. It's really quite clear, omitting none, which includes us. We are included in all beings. Sometimes I keep myself on the outside, but I have to round myself up and go, oh, yeah, me too. You too, all of us. And this is unconditional, by the way. You know, it's like last night when I talked about the Buddha and his awakening, when Mara was going, who the hell do you think that you are? And Buddha said, just because, you know, the earth bore him witness. Just because he is. So um, this willingness to... Let go of everything and tend to what's present with kindness and compassion. Is this path of freedom? This path of freedom and reclamation. We can be with whatever arises, pleasant, unpleasant, without having to fix it or run away. There's no shoulds anymore. We let the pleasant glo- go without clinging to it. We have found a place of equanimity and deep intimacy with our experience without preference that is my favorite definition of equanimity this this deep intimacy with our experience without preference for it to be different or something other than it is we stay right here whatever is present we're with it with wisdom with clarity with tenderness with compassion you know and this cultivation of compassion for ourselves leads to more compassion and empathy for others i've seen that in my experience i've talked to other folks and they say that that's happening for them as well the more we're compassionate with ourselves the more we can be compassionate and empathetic with others and when that happens we no longer um we no longer dehumanize our others because this compassion and empathy builds connection and it becomes impossible to cause this harm when we dehumanize and we other because we no longer have to other, we're connected. I heard a talk last year um, given by, um, I watched a video of a talk given a few years ago by Dr. Michael Yellowbird who's a sociologist, and I think he's up in uh, Portland. And um, he talked about how mindfulness meditation has a real beneficial impact on the brain and it supports um, changes in brain structure associated with the self and with empathy. And he said, I had to write this down, our temporal parietal junction is activated which supports compassion and the sense of separation dissolves and we feel connected and the sacred is no longer separate. So this practice, neuroscience is showing us that it's building up this empathy. These mirror neurons are, are uh, taking place or are, are happening or enlivened are. are are firing and he told this amazing story he says there's a ceremony that his tribe does every year where all of the elders go out to a sacred oak tree and they 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 form a circle around the sacred oak and they sing to this oak and they do this ceremony every day for 56 days i don't know how long each time, but they do it every day for 56 days. And he said, when they do it, they sing it with everything they have in their being. They don't just phone it in. They don't just go, oh my God, 47 days, blah, blah, blah. They bring it. They are in it. They are passionate. And he says, they do it because they know the tree is listening and they are connected. It's this chanting that, that Joanna is offering for us every night. It's this chanting as a way to connect and that mindfulness, that, that, that gathering of the mind, the beneficial impact on the brain and supports this connection, supports this, this seeing the sacred, this, this transcendent in the daily objects as we go about our business. The tree, life, you, me, the other, our critters our friends, our family, there's this sacredness. And so this this journey of reclamation of the sacred and reclamation of the heart is a journey of stillness. It doesn't mean just sitting still, but it's a quieting of the mind. It's a journey of opening to what's right here, tending to whatever it is as necessary. We tend to the messiness. We let it be messy. We let it be smelly and sloppy. You know? We tend to the joy. We let it be whatever it is. And when you're still and open, you never know what shows up. When you quiet the mind, the chatter, as Ajahn Chah said again, it's quiet like a still forest pool, and you'll be amazed at what animals come to drink you make space for a connection with what's already here. You know, you relax the mind, you relax the body, and the awareness is, is of the experience that's present. You know? So, and when we do that, um, we come from a place of power. When we have reclaimed that sacred, when we've reclaimed our heart, we can, we can stand on this power we can hold the fear and the sadness. We're not afraid of fear. We're not afraid of hurt. We're not afraid of pain. We can hold it. We can raise our voice and say what needs to be said. We can work for the end of tyranny. We can work for the end of oppression. We can work for the benefit of ourselves and for the benefit of all beings. It's a place of power that we can move from. That's so amazing. That's, that's extraordinary. And so how do you work with this today? How do you work with this right here tonight on this retreat um, in your lives? Start where you are. There's nowhere else to be, so you might as well start right where you are. Your edge will probably find you, and the invitation is to acknowledge it, say hello to it, make friends with it. See what it has to offer you. So often that's that's that place that edge is the edge is never comfortable. I read something the other day saying the it listed all these things of the edge and the edge was just never comfortable. You never got it figured out, it's it's challenging. So that's what the edge is. It's not because you're doing it wrong, you can't do it wrong, but to meet the edge, see what it has to offer. See what it has to say, you know. If a painful memory shows up. Can you be with the sensations? Let go of the story about it. That's the hardest part. So often the the memory is attached to the story and the willingness to let go of the story. Make the effort to come back. Drop the story. You know, you might be familiar with the story. You can see the story. It's probably very familiar to you. But can you just be with it? Be with the sensations of the body. The story is never the present moment. The story is the future. The story is somewhere else. Um, can you say hello to the emotion? Sometimes, you know, you be you will at some point become familiar with your story, with your habits, with your with your um, uh, tendencies. The storyline. Oh, that's the not good enough one. That's the unlovable one. That's the too old, too young, too this, to that. We all have those stories that are part of our conditioning that are part of um, the things we were fed by our family, by our society, the stories we are told. And this practice is an invitation to wake up to those stories and say, there's just stories. They hold a lot, not, not denigrating them at all, acknowledging the, the impact they have on us, but maybe coming towards them in a different way with some kindness, with some tenderness, but try not to let the mind get tangled up in it. See if you can release it, just release it, come back, tend to what's here and stay as present as you can with whatever you're doing, with walking, sitting, with sweating, with pooping, with brushing your teeth, you know, and experience what comes up. This is is the beauty of retreat and it's actually nice when you're in your home or or away from a retreat center it's like how can i maneuver through this you know and maybe some things will stay with you as you as you leave the retreat that you can bring with you it, just do stay as present as you can just stay as present as you can know you can't do this wrong you can't make a mistake it's a practice watch the judging mind going you're doing it wrong can't do it wrong you can't do it wrong be comfortable not knowing as joanna said there's no answer you know you don't we don't need the answers um it's like suzuki roshi writes about in beginners a zen mind beginner's mind what is this keep that beginner's mind what is this that curiosity what's right here what's this right now and I also want to say be gentle don't um, don't uh, find your way with it um, you don't have to do it all at once watch the striving you know we can get into this tendency to just start striving I got to get this I got to get that reclamation, I got to get there that just becomes another story another should uh, another uh, default just put that aside and say oh this is uh, when you do this practice just staying right here, opening towards whatever's present to the best of your ability in this moment, you're moving towards that and you will have tastes of that. You will touch that. You will have that flavor and then and then you'll become entangled again. The story will get its talons in you and you'll be like. <laughs> And then you'll wake up and go, oh, yeah, then you'll come back. And that's how it goes. But just be gentle. Don't think you have to do it all at once. And if you need to take a break, if it's really challenging, have a cup of tea, go for a walk. But really be gentle with yourself. This is not about achievement. This is not about an agenda or a to-do list. This is about being present, moving towards reclaiming your heart, reclaiming the sacred that's here. Reclaiming what you already have, the beauty, the luminosity, without being encumbered by baggage. So, Bell Hooks has a a quote that I love. She says, when we drop fear, we can draw nearer to people. We can draw nearer to the earth. We can draw nearer to all the heavenly creatures that surround us. That's that reclamation of the heart and the sacred. And I also have the book, The First Free Women, the poems of the early Buddhist nuns. Joanna read from that. And I also have a poem in here I want to read that I think touches on this a little bit. It's Gutta or Guardian. Going forth is no game. We leave whole lives behind not just people and possessions all your wants all your fears all the little rituals that get you through the day and tuck you in at night only see that all these pretty wooden pieces aren't you and don't belong to you they belong to the game i know it's comforting to count up all the squares run your fingers along the edge of the board And plan out all your moves ahead of time. The world beyond the table only seems dark, like empty space. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be afraid. So, I thank you for your kind attention and let's sit for a little bit. Going forth is no game. We leave whole lives behind, not just people and possessions. All your wants, all your fears, all the little rituals that get you through the day and tuck you in at night. Only see that all these pretty wooden pieces aren't you and don't belong to you. They belong to the game. I know it's comforting to count up all the squares, run your fingers along the edge of the board, and plan out all your moves ahead of time. The world beyond the table only seems dark, like empty space. It's okay to be afraid. So thank you everyone, now we are moving into